Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hello, church. How are you doing today? It is good to be with you. It's so good to worship, isn't it? Man, that was some great, great worship today. Great time to just be with him. We're so glad you're here. I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to jump into this today. Father, we pray that as uh, we give you this day, and as we're about to get into your word, that, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come. Would you come, and would you be with us? Would you lead us, guide us, that through this uh, time in your word, that it would it would do something in us. It would provoke something about this idea of prioritizing you and lifting you up and making you first in our lives. God, you're good. I thank you for every person that's here. Would you move in them today? But also, Lord, would you love them today? Would you show them that you love them? God, we're thankful for you. You're so good. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we are on week number three of our series called Make God First. Everyone say, Make God First. I love it. You guys are in it today. The title of today's message is We Get to Give. We Get to Give. And we're going to talk about something today that is one of those subjects that when it comes to church, it's always a little bit like, okay, how are we going to talk about giving? And I just want to say it this way. We're going to talk about giving because we're going to talk about the fact that God loves you and that God has a plan for your life and he's the one to be involved in every part of your life, including your finances and your money and and I think there's a good word for us today. But I, I was thinking about my own journey. And when I was 18 years old, I remember writing my first, my first tithe check, placing it in an offering plate on a Sunday morning. Anyone else kind of missing the check days? <laughs> How, if, you ever, if you ever balanced your checkbook in a check or your, your bank account in a checkbook ledger, raise your hand. Come on. You guys are the OGs. The rest of you, you're too young to understand what it was like in the good old days. But I remember writing that first check, putting it in the offering plate. In the next, in the next year or so, I tried to be faithful to give every month. And, and it was a little bit up and down. Some months I did it. Some months I didn't. Some months I procrastinated long enough until it became the next month. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have to worry about the last month. God is good. I'll start fresh today again. But before long, I did start doing it every month. And I remember that even as a young age, at a young age, I had very little money. Um, even then, I felt a deep convic- a conviction that what I had in life, including my money, was very much connected to God. And, and, and what I was supposed to do, not only with my money, but really how to relate to God. And, and it, I had heard a sermon or two about giving, but it really wasn't the knowledge uh, of the Bible that really provoked this in me. It was just this understanding deep in my heart that something was missing in my relationship with God if I didn't let him really be the Lord of everything I had. A few years later, uh, Christy and I, we, we got married and we both agreed that we wanted to tithe 10% and, and give uh, anything over and above that maybe at times when God led us to other kingdom needs or other ministries and those things. But in those initial years, I, I just recall that what drove me was this sense that God had an order to things. 
that there was an order and that if I didn't give to God, something was out of order in my life. Now, I say that, and I want you to know that really the picture of our life, the story of our life since then hasn't been, you know, 25 plus years of a graph that looks like up and to the right, meaning we've always given and we've always been faithful and God's always blessed. It's, it's not necessarily like that. There have been seasons which we struggled to give. We didn't give the way we ought to or even been struggles, struggle, times when spending outpaced giving. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And... There were times when the numbers just didn't add up, and, and, and I just didn't know how we were going to do it. And Anybody ever been in a place where you want to give, but for whatever reason, you can't quite get there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there have been many times like that. And, and I just want to jump into this today, if it's okay, uh, because I believe God has a word for those, even for those of us who are like, I don't really want to talk about this today. I, need, I have other problems in my life. Um, but just allow God's word to speak to us today. Malachi chapter 3, I bring us to this passage often because its words are brutally honest. Uh, yet there's an invitation and a promise of our, in our giving and specifically to this idea of the tithe. It says this, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? What are you talking about? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there, that there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So first of all, this passage says that we're robbing God when we withhold our tithes and offerings. And I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us are really wanting to be robbers. Right? We don't want to be breaking in, ski masks on, robbing from God. None of us want to do that. But it also says, that's the first thing it says. Second thing it says is you can test me in this. God says, test me. He's like, bro. He's like, girl, I got this. Test me. See if I don't knock it out of the park. He's like, you got 5000 a month? Give me the first 10%. Give me five hundred. You make $500,000 a month? Give me the first 50000 and take your pastor out to lunch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My encouragement with giving is always this. Start somewhere and start now. Start somewhere and start now. Quit, quit waiting. Start trusting him. Start somewhere and start now. This passage is also, it's clearly directly linked to the tithe. And I just want to say this. It's unhealthy to view the tithe as the finish line, right? It's unhealthy to see like, man, we're going to try and get there someday. The tithe is not the, the ceiling of giving. It's the floor. It's what we build our life on. The tithe is not the finish line, it's the starting blocks. And so the tithe, just in case you're wondering what that means, it literally means 10%. It's the first 10% of our money. So I'm just giving us like the nuts and bolts before we back up and we talk a little bit now about where this whole idea even comes from. You ever wonder like, what, what is this about? Where did it come from? Uh, and, and why do we do it? Well, the first place that you see the tithe mentioned in the Bible is actually in the book of Genesis chapter 14, in the story of Abraham, which we don't preach this one often, but it's pretty profound. Abraham, of course, is an important figure in the Bible. If you don't know Abraham, he is considered, if you will, it says in Galatians that he is the father of our faith. He is, you know, Abraham, he's like, right? He's father Abraham had many. Yeah, 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 that guy. Meaning Abraham Abraham is the man that we trace the Jewish and the Christian heritage back to. This is where it all began, with this man where God made a covenant promise with a person. And he said to 
Abraham, I make a promise that I'm going to give you a nation, and, and from you, your, your family will become a great nation, which was, he said this to him when his name was Abram. Abram meant exalted father. He gave him and changed his name to Abraham, which meant the father of multitudes. Now, he said this to him when he had no children. He was 75 years old, no kids. Like, he didn't have a son, much less a multitude of sons, right? And so he says this to him, and he says, God calls out to him and says, I want to make a covenant with you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Here's the thing. I will go before you. I'll make promises to you to take care of you, to bless you, to build a great nation. And God does fulfill this promise. Near the beginning of this new relationship with God, though, we'll get to Genesis 14 in a moment. But in Genesis 12, he's, he, he calls uh, Abram to go and to go settle into, into a new land. He says, I want you to go somewhere. i got a promise for you. I want you to leave, get up and go. So Abraham who by this point in his life already had a large estate, we should say. He didn't have any family, any kids, but he had a lot of cousins. <laughs> he had a lot of servants. He had a lot of cattle. He had a lot of everything. And so he had a pretty big entourage, and he sets off, and his, his nephew, Lot, goes with him, who also had a large estate. And as time goes on, as they're traveling and going to where God calls them to go, their, their, their estates actually continue to grow and get larger and larger. There's actually becomes... A whole bunch of livestock. They're having a hard time feeding them. Uh, a lot of possessions between the two of them. And eventually the entourage themselves quits, starts bickering. The, the, the servants of Lot start arguing with the servants of Abraham. And so they have this little fight. And then Abraham does this beautiful thing. He comes to his nephew, Lot. And he says, listen, Lot, I don't want to have any beef with you. We don't need this. We're cousins. Why don't I go one way and you go the other? I want to I make sure there's peace between us. And he does this amazing thing. He's like, listen, you pick where you want to go. I'll go the other way. You want to go that way? I'll go that way. You want to go that way? I'll go that way. He's like, it doesn't matter to me because I know God is with me, and wherever I go, God goes, so it's good. Whatever. So Lot, though, Lot does something great. In Genesis 13, I say great sarcastically. <clears throat> Lot looked around. This is Genesis 13, starting in verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden, right? Like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know that story. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So you got that? Lot looks, and he chooses the better lot. Like, literally. He's like, that lot looks nice. God named him before he had this moment. He's like, his name's going to be Lot. Because he's going to think about the lot and he has in life. I can just keep going if you all want me to. But he, he, he picks this lane. He's like, that's real nice over there. That's real nice. Look at that. Beautiful. It's green. There's lots of lush land, lots of water. There's some cool cities nearby. He's like literally like, listen, like Vegas is right there, right there, a.k.a. Sodom. Sin City, here I come. This is what's going on. This is, this is, this is amazing. Though. This is what, so think about it. This is what so many of us do. Abraham does one thing. Abraham humbly says, I, I want to ensure peace. I'm going to go, you know, wherever you want me to go. God is with me. But Lot, this is what we do. Lot is like, I want to I go where, I, where it looks like I'm going to be taken care of. I, I want to go to the place 
that looks more appealing. I don't even care if there's wickedness there. Because did you see how much green there is? We do the same thing. I mean, I know that job will prevent me from really being involved in going to church as much as I should. I'm going to travel a lot. But did you see how much green they're going to pay me? I know I shouldn't date that guy. He doesn't know Jesus. Um, but I really need that. I, 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 know, I, know, I know when I hang out with those people, they, they kind of make me kind of hide my faith and I become someone I don't really like. But I need them. You see, we often look right and left and we choose what looks better to the eyes, even if it's dangerous to the soul. Abraham understood that blessing is on a person, not a place. He's like, listen, I'm going to take God's blessing with me no matter where I go. Maybe you're at this point wondering, where are we going with this story? <laughs> Stay with me. Lot moves on to the lovely city of Sodom. And the place is so wicked that Lot literally gets kidnapped. He's kidnapped. Right? Seriously. A war had broken out between nine different kings in the area, including the king of Sodom. And these kings, they picked teams. There was five kings versus four kings. And the four kings included the king of Sodom. And they lose a key battle. And in the fray of that battle, Lot and his family get kidnapped. They get taken captive. And Abraham, he's living somewhere else, remember? But he hears the news of this. And in a way underrated and under-talked about moment in Abraham's life, Abraham is like, not on my watch. He's like, mm-mm, you ain't going to go and kidnap my nephew like that. And he goes all Liam Neeson on him from Taken. <laughs> like, it's like, this is not happening. He has 318 trained men in his, in his entourage. He's like, boys, get your brass knuckles and your spears and let's go. <laughs> so they saddle up like the 300 men of Sparta, Right? And they go, and in one night it says, it says that they, they fully defeated the men of the five kings. They took everything they had stolen, and he got, his, he got his, his nephew back. He's like, come on, bro. Let's go. Dude, this is like drop the mic, Abraham. You a bad dude. I mean, he had a son at 99 years old. He's a bad dude. <laughs> Finally, we get to this moment. That is about the first place in the scriptures that talks about the tithe. Remember, we're talking about giving. <laughs> I almost forgot with Liam Neeson in there. but <clears throat> So he comes back to the kings, the ones that had lost, remember? Genesis 14, verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating, can anybody say that one? There you go. I couldn't say it. And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sabah. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That's interesting. Bread and wine. Sounds familiar. He was priest of God most high. That's even more interesting. See, the line of priests haven't even been established yet. The Levites that we so affectionately talk about from the book of Leviticus that everybody loves, they don't show up on the scene for 430 years. So we have Melchizedek, who is a king, and he's a priest, 
and he's bringing out bread and wine. I don't know about you, but I believe my Jesus bells are starting to ring. <laughs> All right, verse 19. I was, I was so looking forward to that line. Verse 19. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then, here we go, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, so where did that come from? I mean, I seriously do get caught up in the story of Abraham being a bad dude. That I almost miss, who's Melchizedek? I want to give you a little context today. Can I teach you today? Everyone say Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Say it again, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Very good. It says in the passage that he was the king of Salem. Now, it's important to know that the king of Salem is not mentioned in the nine kings that were in the war. Salem was a city of peace. He was known as the king of peace. And Salem becomes a city that you might have heard of, Jerusalem, the city of God. So Melchizedek wasn't just any king. He was special, right? Some of you maybe have heard his name before. You're like, but why do I know his name? I don't think I've ever read Genesis 14. <laughs> read the Bible, friends. But some of you, the reason you know it, because he is mentioned three times in the Bible. He's mentioned right here in Genesis, Psalm 110, and then he's mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament of all places. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrew goes on for three chapters about the line of Melchizedek. And you've probably read it, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. But okay, yeah, Jesus rules. You know what I mean? Like, we read it, and we don't even know what we're reading. Well, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Melchizedek because rabbis and scholars and religious leaders, they have all identified something very unique about this guy. It was clear that he was somehow a priest king. Everyone say priest king, which is a very unusual thing. He was a priest king that was before all things. He was a priest king that was in the line of priests before the priest existed. And he was in a relationship with the creator God before Abram, who was supposed to be the first one who had a connection and covenant with the creator God. He was even before Abram had been, be, be re, been renamed Abraham. He had a relationship with him. He's bringing out bread and wine and having communion to commemorate and to remember what God has done in bringing him victory 2,000 years before Jesus did the same thing. He was foreshadowing Jesus. Then you can cap it off that he blessed Abraham. His blessing was a lasting blessing. And what was Abraham's response? His response was to give him a tenth of all that he had. So Melchizedek, one more time, everybody say Melchizedek. He is believed, this is just a little bit for you, he is believed to be a figure of Christ that existed before, the, before Jesus of Nazareth was born. Some scholars believe that he was Christ himself. The theological term that many scholars assign to Melchizedek is this, that he was a Christophany. A Christophany. You ever heard that one? A Christophany, an appearance of Christ before his birth and after his resurrection and ascension. It's believed it's very possible that Jesus appeared before he was born in Nazareth, or born in Bethlehem, and he appeared, he's appeared since his ascension, potentially. It's clear, though, through the study of the Old Testament that there are signs and figures of Christ littered throughout. 
that there are all sorts of signs pointing us to Jesus and the coming Messiah. And there are people and moments that create a picture of what Christ would be. So at minimum, Melchizedek is used by God to be the foreshadow of Christ, meaning he represents Christ, or some, in fact, believe he is Christ in the full. He is a full Christophany. He is Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, he is a king priest of, the most, of God most high he, who happened to commemorate God with, with the communion moment, celebrating communion before anybody knew what communion was. So in Hebrews 5.10, I'll jump ahead to that. It says this, he, meaning Jesus, Jesus was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was not the high priest in the order of Levi. If you know the Bible, if you don't, stick with me here. There is a line of priests in the Bible known as the, known as the Levites. All priests are in the line of Levites. He's saying this guy's not in the same line. Jesus is not in the line of Levi. He's in the line in the order of Melchizedek. He's from someplace else. We don't have a genealogy of Melchizedek. He was a priest of the Most High God before there were priests of the Most High God. Hebrews 7 says it this way. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He was the king priest. And he met Abraham returning from defeat of the kings and blessed him. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And first, so you know, the, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, Melchizedek didn't seem to have one without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, meaning this dude is from someplace else, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth. Hebrews 7 makes way more sense when you know Genesis 14, doesn't it? It goes on to say in, in Hebrews, this is now why we give a tenth. God was establishing a covenant with a man. God was showing Abraham a new way to be human and a new way to relate to God. So the priest king blesses him. Abraham then gives him a tenth. Listen, he didn't ask for blessing. He gave from blessing. He was blessed and he gave. The Bible says a lot about this make God first thing. The financial priority begins with our first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. So it was an acceptable and honorable act to give the first born of your flocks. It was an acceptable act to give the first fruits of your crops. So in Malachi 3, which I started with earlier, we talked about the robbing of God. He says, stop robbing God. That particular passage is on the heels of of a story that's unfolding with God's people. And in Malachi chapter 1, are you guys with me? Are you all following me? Are you all engaged in this? Do you guys care about this? Do you know this is about your life? This is about your life. So many of us have never figured out why we give. Malachi 1.6 says this, If I am a father... Where is the honor due me? This is the Lord speaking. If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, 
how have we shown you contempt? God, what, what are you talking about? Verse 8. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? People weren't giving God their first. They were giving God their last. Can you imagine giving God your blind goat? Here you go, Lord. Here's old Gimpy. He has two and a half legs. It's all yours, Lord. Yes, two and a half. 2.5. They were giving to God whatever they had left over. They weren't giving to God what they wanted or what they thought they needed. That's not a first offering. That's called a last offering. At best, it's called a tip. Anybody want to tip God? He goes on. He's not done. He says, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Dude, can I just say this? Do not give lame gifts to God. <laughs> I thought that was good, too. Try off. I love this line. Try offering that to your governor. Oh, my. Everyone say, oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. He, he didn't, but he did. He said it. He's like, listen, people. Do you think your governor, your government would be okay with you paying with Monopoly money? Do you think your government would be okay if you said, hey, hey, I, I'm gonna, I, I've taken care of all my stuff. I can pay you what I have left over at the end. I know it isn't what you asked for, but this is all I got left. Did you know that Netflix raised their prices, Uncle Sam? Like, this is all I got left. Do you think the government would be okay? He's like, no, they wouldn't be okay. Verse 14, cursed is the cheat who has acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished, blind, two-and-a-half-legged animal. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So stop robbing God. That's what he says. Sounds harsh, but it's not. Why? Because it comes from a place that God wants to bless us. And he has an order to his blessing. What I say about my story, something feels like it's out of order if I'm not honoring God with what I have been given. Leviticus 27.30 says it this way. And all the tithe of the Lord, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So when you give your first fruits, it's intended to be, it's supposed to be, it should be a tithe. The practice of tithing is where God creates order and clarity about how he's going to transform our heart by removing the idol of money in our lives and replacing him as first place. It's multifaceted. It's not only about trust. It's not only about blessing you, but it's ultimately about love. He's like, I want you to love me first, and love will be demonstrated in the way you trust me and put me first in everything you have. Later, Jesus would transition this language of, you know, first fruits, and he would basically say it's about everything and ev anything and everything we have. Someone tried to trap him by saying, hey, so what about paying taxes, Jesus? What do you think about that? And he wisely says in return, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to the Lord what is the Lord's. And what is the Lord's? Well, apparently it's 10%. It's a tithe. And it may sound crazy to some of you to think that your first 10% is supposed to go to God. And I get that when you're not familiar with it. But. Think of it like this. God wants to radically shape who you are. He wants you to be different from the world. And he has an order to how he will transform you into something new. And this is part of it. And I know a lot of us struggle with this. On average, U.S. Amer US, US Americans. 
kind of redundant, but um, <laughs> U.S. Americans um, give under 2% of their income. Active Christians give less than 2% of their income. One more scripture from Hebrews. The creator of coffee, because he, he brews. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, stay with me. He, Melchizedek, collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The lesser is Abraham, the father of our faith, right? The one who was promised to become a great nation. We say he's the greatest. He's the father of our faith, and he is lesser in this moment. Melchizedek, right? So the greater blesses the lesser, and the lesser honors the greater. Do you want to honor God in your life? Are you honoring God in the way that you order your money, the way you spend, the way you give? And I would just say this. If you don't give to God, or maybe you give some, maybe you occasionally make an offering or if you were going to if you were going to calculate it out you're given three percent or you're given 150 dollars a month because it works in your budget all those things are fine and good and in a way that it's it's great that god will bless what you give however i hope and pray that god's word will encourage you to think differently about this subject because when we don't give i believe i truly believe this we are missing out on what the bible teaches us and i can say at least from my own story and what I believe the stories of many others, is that your life is missing out on something wonderful and life-giving and rooted in the way that God wants you to live. Something is out of order in our lives. And when things are out of order, we usually fix them. If something goes out of order in my house, dishwasher breaks, you know, garbage disposal, whatever it is, it becomes a priority to me to get it fixed. But there are some things spiritually that are out of order and it just never becomes a priority. And we need to fix things that are out of order. And God has given us a plan and a way to do it. It's why the prophet Malachi wrote, stop robbing God. Stop giving him your lame animals and your last leftovers. He says, quit tipping God and start testing God. Give him your first. Give him the tithe. So here's what I know. The scriptures, what we just did right here, it teaches us, it informs us, and it can convict us. But what I also know is that stories are what inspires us. Testimonies are powerful. And so I wanted to teach a little bit, and then I wanted to let a story inspire you a little bit. You guys want to hear a story today? You want to hear a testimony from some people? Yeah. Caleb and Casey, will you guys come on up? This is Caleb and Casey Kenny. You guys give them a hand as they walk up here. As they come, just a brief introduction of them. <clears throat> Many of you know them. Um, Many of you know them. Caleb, of course, speaks here from time to time. I think he spoke here a couple times this last year. He's actually preaching next month. And uh, I've known these people, these two, since they were young, junior high. I was their youth pastor. And when you're a youth pastor at 22, the cool thing is that you grow up and your, youth and your youth group becomes your friends. And so these are my friends, and I'm really grateful for them. And I believe they have a story about how God has worked in their life through this subject of giving and stewardship and trusting God with what you have. And I asked them to share their story, and they graciously said yes. And so uh, let's, let's jump in. Hey, guys. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Hi, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just start. Let's just rewind 
and let's just start back about 12 years ago. Kind of talk about your story, your life, where you were, um, specifically financially. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, take the lead. This is really her story, so I'm just her arm candy up here. So, um, <laughs> uh, I'll say this. Uh, we got, uh, we'd been married a couple of years. We got married young, which means we were broke. Um, and uh, I was working a full-time ministry for like, you know, 11 bucks an hour, like literally 11 bucks an hour. He was working with me. <laughs> but I was not in charge of what he made. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure, Tim. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no, for real. Uh, Casey, uh, we just found out she was pregnant with our oldest uh, child, Rosalind. And while, after we found out she was pregnant, the company that she worked for disbanded. So that was awesome. Um, and then uh, through a series of events, she began taking real estate classes um, at night. And she was doing that. And she passed her exam at 39 weeks pregnant. I always joke she was timing contractions on her scratch paper while she took her exam. That actually happened. Um, I, she told me that afterwards. And I was like, uh, what do we do? Um, so we had enough to pay our bills. Um, but that was it at that time. And we were on food stamps and uh, calling our parents where we go out to eat with her parents once and my parents another day, fill up on bread or chips and salsa, take our food home and kind of eat on that the other three days, you know. And uh, in that time at the church we were working at, uh, Robert Morris came and he's the author of a book called The Blessed Life. And he talked about how, he talked about this idea of first fruits and how he pays bills. And the first check he would write was his tithe because he wanted that to be first. And Casey was really, she came home, she's like, that's what we're going to do. And I was like, well, that's a bad idea. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, this is probably something. So um, it, it terrified me, and it's something she was really convicted of. And uh, she's smarter than me, so I said, okay, um, that's what we'll do. You're right. She is smarter than you. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about this is amazing. Actually, I know your story. We, we, if we really were going to tell it, it would take an, a long time today. It's pretty powerful, but this is a moment of transition for you guys in this season that we're talking about, like I say, 12 years ago or so. Um, and talk about uh, how God led you in that season to just think differently about stuff and describe a few things that happened along the way. Yes. So we had to concentrate the story because, like you said, there's lots of parts and pieces. So it was spring of 2013, and it was really everything kind of happened pretty quickly from March to about June. So March 2013, we're working at a church. It's Caleb's first real ministry full-time job. I was working in a real estate office as an admin. I just got my real estate license, and so I decided to go full commish. So I didn't have, obviously, I had not sold any house. I sold two houses, so I was, like, on the cusp of broke constantly, which wasn't new because we were broke already. So, um, so I had, you know, not any projected income coming in, and we felt like the Lord was telling us that we needed to step down from the role that we had at the church. And we felt like he was saying it for a long time. And if looking back, it was, we just said no. We just said no, because it didn't make sense, because what were we going to do? You know, it, we had a baby. We were going to wait for the next thing to come. And once the next thing came, we were going to go. So the next thing didn't come like we thought it would. But um, Easter happened. And... Um, I went to church on Easter, and after church on Easter, I told Caleb that I wasn't going back again because God just said, you're done. God said, no. So I told Caleb that. Caleb couldn't exactly walk away, so he said, okay, I trust you. So the next Sunday, 
I took Roslyn in the car and drove her downtown, and that was the first Sunday that we ever came to OKC Community. We were at the Hall of Mirrors. Um, I cried the whole service because my life felt like a mess, and I didn't know what to do. And um, coming home, I called Caleb, and I said, something has to happen. Something has to change. And he said, I know, but obviously what? Um, and just to, I mean, this is a season when you guys are like, I mean, I know you've mentioned, but like, it's a struggle, like, not just spiritual struggle, but it is a financial struggle in this season. There's a lot that is really, really hard. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have bearings on anything. We were new parents. Um, it, it felt very out of control. So a couple of days later, uh, we had a really sad incident that happened at the church with somebody that we really were close to and cared about. And that was really, I think, God not closing the door, but slamming the door. And so at that point in time, Caleb turned in his resignation. Um, and that was April 2013. So May rolls around, and if you remember what happened in May in 2013 in Moore, which is where we lived, there was a huge tornado wiped out the town. And we were about five blocks away from the tornado path, our neighborhood. And so our house was in the debris cloud. Like, we were too close. We were close. Um, we went to Yukon that day to stay safe. And the next day when we came back, I was on I-240. And this was one of the very clear times that I felt like Lord spoke to me instantly. And he said, you need to give your house to somebody that lost their house. And I was like, what? Um, <laughs> but at the time, I was like, okay, well, let's think about this. Because Caleb quit his job. I don't have any money coming in. Maybe we could let somebody live in our house who lost their house in the tornado. So I tell Caleb, he says, I will think about it. We'll talk about it later, which was like, don't talk to me about it again. And um, I was like, yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. So like an hour later, I said, have you thought about it? An hour. Yeah. One, one same hour. day. It was the same day. And he said, I said, what if we found a family who was blah, 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 like a million 17 things. items long. And I was like, sure, we find that family. We'll give yeah. it away. And even specifically enough to, that I said they had to have a baby our age because we had all the baby stuff in our house and a crib and all that stuff. And I put a post up on Facebook, and within 24 hours, we had a family. That was the exact criteria that we said we needed. So within 10 days, we signed a lease, and we moved all of our stuff back to Yukon to live with Caleb's parents in their bonus room upstairs. And that was rock bottom. And not that I don't love my in-laws. They're awesome. It was rock bottom. They're going to listen to this Our later. first Friday night there. Hi, Scott like, and Sue. Hope yeah. you're watching the live stream. They really are. Our first, our first Friday night there, like, we like Louie's because we like split your salad in two plates. And I go, what is my life? What is happening? <laughs> anyway, so that's where I built my business. So Caleb kept applying for jobs. He kept not getting them. Um, we stayed at OKC Community, and it was just like, it was just such a special time for us because it was like we finally had a place that we felt like was our family. Um, so it, yeah, I, I, it was hard for me to dredge back the, these memories. Um, so I started to sell houses for some crazy reason, cause I didn't know what I was doing and crazy whenever you do something yeah. generous and God starts being generous. No, God blessed my business. And I felt like, I don't know what's happening, but things are happening. And every single time I remember getting every check that I, I would close on a house, I would get the check and I would take it straight to the bank because I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I cannot believe that God is taking care of us in this way. And I remember at that time I had to physically separate the money because I wanted to make sure we tithed on it, we saved on it, and we put it in our operating account. So I would go and divide it. I would have to do math, which was hard, and just, like, divide it up. 
So we, that's what we started to do. Um, and then we actually went to Financial Peace, which was for free at our church, because we were like, we need to know what to do with our money. So we went to a full cash, full envelope. Everything that we learned, we did. They were small envelopes. Small, <laughs> yeah. I remember just, like, counting the dollars and, like, writing the things down. Anyways, so that was really how we built our budget, was from nothing. Um, but we learned how to manage our finances from, from there. Yeah, that's good. So you started trusting him. You started giving to him first. You started, you know, all those things. Um, how did that really shape the way you started leading? Because now you have a new business. You have kid learn, turning into kids. You have three kids now. Like, how did it start affecting the way you led all the things that you do in life? Yeah, our kids are now of the age where they're learning about money. We took them over the break, over Christmas break, set up their bank accounts, um, and they were real excited about putting their all change. Three of them? Yeah. Even how old, Rhodes. How, how old is Rhodes? Four. Yeah. Cool. His, his debit card's He's a got uh, chocolate bar. Yeah, That's they really got. excited about it. <laughs> okay. They got to pick their own debit cards, and they're in my office, and every time one of them comes in, they get their debit card and put it on the front of the stack because that's important to them that their card is vi visible. So it's the chocolate bar most of the time, which is Rhodes. Um, but I think when we were talking about this earlier, I felt the Lord tell me to share this story, which is a couple years ago when I was really leaning into what I felt like the Lord was telling me. And I think from day one of giving my life to the Lord in middle school, um, I, I wanted to be in the room, but I didn't want to be front row. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to get into heaven, but I didn't really want to do the obedience part because it scared me because I like control. And I felt the Lord gave me this picture, and it was really um, a special picture because we were in the Civic Center at that time. And uh, he said, you know, when you go to a show or a performance, um, you know when you sit in the mezzanine or the back row? It's a lot different than when you're in the orchestra pit. And he, he said, I want to move you from the mezzanine down to the orchestra pit because the people that are down there, they're, they're in it. They're in it. And the people that are back there, they could slip out at any moment. Nobody would notice. And so the Lord gave me that picture, and he was like, I'm ready to call, call you down here. And I, I thought it was a beautiful picture because um, it was a call into obedience. It was going to say, I know you know me. I know that you know me. But will you give up control over what you think is better for you and trust me to lead you to what I know is better for you. Wow, that's good. So now we're going to fast forward. You know, it's been 10 years since some of those really life-defining moments. And um, What are some of the things now that you're, like, really passionate about as a result of all that God's been doing? I think when we talk about this and how it shaped our lives is, is look, there's been seasons of, because I was scared. Like, I was the one who was, like, I, I didn't grow up with much, so giving this away, all of my tithing was still out of scarcity. Like, how can I do this? How is it going to be? And I think what's changed is what I'm passionate about about this now is that there's been seasons of blessing and seasons of and seasons of sustaining, and God did both, right? Like God did both. Like God promises to sustain us. So even when it's been difficult, that's God too. Like God's that's God showing up too. And so it's made me um, re-identify what this is. It's made me passionate about looking for him. And because and it's important to know, like when we said no to leaving my job, that wasn't like something passively. We didn't know what we were doing. We were actively hearing God tell us to do something. And I was saying, no, I'm not going to do that. 
I was holding on to pennies because I thought, you know, it, it, it changed the way I viewed it. So basically what it's done is it's made me passionate about saying yes to the things of Jesus and hearing God and like, oh, man, I'm being disobedient in this. I want to do this. It's like so we set our kids' bank accounts up. They each got a checking, a savings, and a tithe. I want this to be who they are and how they do. I want it to wire because, look, I wanted God to be God of my career, but I was going to be Lord of my finances. You know what I feel that? like? You know what I mean? Like, I'll control my finances however I want. And so I think I've done that in so many areas of my life. He's, he's my God, but he's Lord of so few things in my life. And I was like, I want to experience who God is. I want to make him Lord of this area. And so what it's done is it's made us excited about that self-examination rather than being like, oh, man, I'm not giving or I'm not this or I'm not this. It's like, oh, man, I haven't given this to God yet. I can't wait to see what he does with it with my obedience, because holding on to it, man, I haven't gotten me anywhere. Yeah, that's good. Well, one final word then that you guys share, just well, something you would encourage those of us in the room that maybe are in a spot where it's like it's hard to give or we struggle to do it, um, just a way to encourage us. I wanted to give a practical tips and tricks, but you guys can Google. Um, for me, it was... I think as I was praying about this, I feel like the, the Lord said, I'm trustworthy, is that when we were in a real tough season this last year, we called our in-laws, and trust me, they are really sweet, precious people, Southern Baptist pastor, which my father-in-law, Scott, always says, you can't outgive God, you can't outgive God, and so, amen, amen. yeah, that was in the back of my mind, um, he said, as we were talking with them, they prayed over us, and he said, look for the promises in this season, Look for God's promises. And I'd never been told that before, and I'd never looked for God's promises before either. Um, the Bible's full of them. You don't have to sit there and close your eyes and expect to, to just be downloaded. Like, they're, they're there in the Word. And God's promised to give us a hope and a future and to prosper us and to do things that are for our good. So if we can trust that, then we can understand that his promises are good, he is trustworthy, and we can lean into that without fear. Yeah, it's a good word. It's amazing. Well, thank you guys for sharing your, your, your story today. Can you guys thank them for sharing? I mean, give it up to them. Will you guys stand? We're going to close in prayer, and we're going to close with some time of worship as well. But as you're standing, I'll just remind you of this. Well, one, I hope you learned a little bit of what the Bible says. But I also, I also hope you've been even inspired today in some ways. You see, Abraham, he didn't, he didn't give a tithe for blessing. But what did he do? He gave it from blessing, right? He was blessed by the priest king. And his response was to give to him. In other words, we don't give to get, but we get to give. That's the title of the message, right? We get to give. We're not trying to get from him. We're trying to give to him. It's an act of love. It's an act of trust. It's an act of obedience. It's, it's multi-layered, but it starts with this. I love God enough that when he blesses me, my only response is to give him, give him what he deserves. And he gave us some order to it so we wouldn't be left on our own to figure that out. He's like, start with the 10th. <laughs> Jesus, by the way, he didn't talk a lot about this hands because if, if you're going to put it in Jesus' language, he's like, you got, you got to give everything. You got to give everything. That's why I say the tithe is a starting line. It's a starting line. So, my friends, 
I feel like there's a lot to pray about in this. There's a lot to pray about what you're doing in your own life. But there's a lot to pray about because a lot of us are in financial hardship. We're in a struggle. We're like, it's just constantly always on our minds. And maybe today is the day where you're like, Lord, I just want to give this to you. I need to ask for your help in this. You can ask him to help you. You can ask him to help you. You say, Lord, I can't figure this out. Yes, there's your principles. Great. There's, your, there's what your word says. Great. But I can't do it on my own. And so that's why we come to him and we surrender to him and we bow to him and we say, God, I need you. I need you to help me. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to worship. And, and as we worship, I mean, giving is a way we worship. Song is a way we worship. But it's a heart that says, God, we want to make you first. So, Father, right now we want to make you first. We pray that as we sing songs that it is truly an act of worship. When we give gifts, it's an act of worship. When we, when we submit and give a tithe, it's an act of worship because we love you. We love you, Lord. And we want, to, we want our lives to reflect that in every aspect of who we are. And we know that this one is one you spent a lot of time talking about, and it's one that is a big deal. And so, Father, we recognize it as such, and we ask for your help. We ask you to lead us and guide us. I pray for each and every person, no matter if they think they've figured this one out or if they're in process of figuring it out, that, Lord, you'd still provoke us to be people who have a heart that is fully yours, making you first, trusting you with what you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing for a few minutes. This altar's open. Our team is going to be here and in the back as well if you need prayer today. But let's give him some praise as an act of worship, giving him what he deserves. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.